Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have an exciting show for you tonight. We thought we were going to have three guests. No, we're actually going to have four. I'll talk about that in a second. So I want to say welcome to show number 450. It's been 450 shows now, and it was about almost 10 years ago when I decided to do this show. I contacted many people that I would find either on TV shows or YouTube that were, you know, they were people, they were characters in the UFO field, Stan Friedman, you know, people like that. So um, I contacted, I reached out to, um, I can't remember how many, maybe 30 different people I could find. And one person replied to me and said they would be my first guest on this show. And that person is going to be on the show tonight, Stephen Bassett. He was a guest on my first show. It was pretty clunky. Um, I got through it. Those were um, half-hour shows or one-hour shows. I can't even remember. Pre-recorded, just audio, you know, that type of thing. So Stephen Bassett is going to be on um, tonight. And uh, so is Darcy Weir, filmmaker, uh, Gary King. um, And we're going to be talking about crop circles. We also have an added guest, and that is Jim Goodall. Um, and he's been around for a long time, knows his aircraft very well, and uh, a very interesting person. He's joining us tonight. And so uh, as far as the uh, uh, blog this week, it's called uh, UFOs Over Finland Redux, and it's kind of a review of UFOs Over Finland. Charles Lear wrote that, so check that out over on our website, podcastufo.com. Um, hello over to the Berkshires, to uh, a special guest, I mean, a special person over there, just saying hi, a shout out, uh, not so subtle. And uh, next week we have Kathleen Martin on, and I think I'm going to bring, and I will tell you about our, uh, we are shy one guest tonight, but we are looking forward to him popping in any minute. And that's Stephen Bassett, the one I was going on and on, who helped me out. He's not in. But first of all, before we bring in our guests, I'm going to play the trailer that we're going to be talking about the movie tonight. Here it goes. But you see, it's easier to attack anybody who will stand up and say this is true. You'll love a good mystery, and chances are you've seen pictures of crop circles that have popped up around the world. In France, it's Vimy, France. Okay. Some people have been traveling hundreds of kilometers. No, de cómo pensamos que se hacen estos eh, mensajes en los campos de cultivo. And it has a message there, and tells us much pain, but it's still time. So immediately upon entering the formation, looking to the left, I noticed this whole swathe of rape laid down. And the first stems that I look at, I notice are not broken at the base. People would fly over a field at noon and they'd come back at 12.10 and there'd be a two, three acre crops up there. And Doug and Dave can't work that fast. Although it is true, there are a few individual hoaxers who have created their own crop circles as an elaborate art form. There's one video that seems to show one being built, could be true. Since its first witnesses, this phenomenon has always had the same resemblance conditions and no direct eyewitnesses to account for humans fashioning these extraordinarily most complex crop circles created in the cover of night formaciones son cortadas un año después se puede observar 
lo que estaba aquí, o sea, la energía queda en el lugar. Les llaman formaciones fantasmas. The technology to induce such an effect to a plant on a scale like this simply does not currently exist. Well, here we are. Hi, everyone. Uh, so uh, just if you're watching on YouTube, we have Gary King up at the top. And down on the bottom, they're looking at the screen, but not at the camera. <laughs> this is Darcy Weir and Jim Goodall. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Yeah. Thanks um, for having us. Yes, uh, that is a great film. I got the one of the, hey, look, uh, I think we just have someone else here. Uh-huh. Steven. How Hi. are you, Steven? Glad to be with you. Hi. I'm glad you're here. I just gave you an, a great introduction that you missed. But it was I, I just basically said that you're the only one that would show up on my show, uh, episode number one. We're 450 episodes now, Stephen, and you are on number one. <laughs> and I have a podcast, and I've done one, right, an introductory, <laughs> and, and so now I have 450 to catch up with you. I, that's going to be tough. That's all right. I'll be a guest anytime. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you all for joining us. And I don't even know how to start. I'm really excited about tonight. Well, first of all, this, I, I, you know, when I first started and started looking into this, I got to tell you that crop circles was something I was on the fence about totally on the fence about, I I said, what are they, you know, are they man-made, you know, and some of them are indeed man-made. Um, but there are some, uh, I had a chance to interview Nancy Talbot at the BLT research. And uh, after I spoke with her, are you all right, Steve? Yeah, I'm just fixing the camera, yeah. guys. Hang on. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, I, ha- I had the opportunity to interview Nancy. And after I did that um, interview with her, I'm thinking, you know, there's something else going on here with the crop circles, you know. And I'd like for, I don't know who wants to start, but I'd like for someone to explain the the physical things that happen on some of these crop circles that couldn't be done by someone trampling. I don't know well, who wants to take that. I'll, I'll, I'll start a little bit and then I'll hand it off to Gary. Gary, just to give a bit of intro on him. Um, Gary has been researching for over 20 years um, over in the UK um, as we know, he's not there right now. He's working for Jaime Mousson down in Mexico. But uh, while living in the UK, he, he's been researching them in person. He's walked in over 900 different formations that have shown up over the years. Um, wow. He had a, a sort of anomalous UFO type event happen right in front of him. Um, and then a massive crop circle show up that... Uh, has been dubbed 777. It happened on the 7th of July, 2007. And, uh, you know, the things that we most notably know about the two hoaxers, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, who claimed to have made all the crop circles since the 70s to the 90s, which is impossible, uh, they stated that they just did it with the wood board and a piece of rope. And when you look at that kind of uh, craftsmanship, let's say, that work leaves the stalks of the plants broken completely. Um, and, you know, hence the crops don't keep growing. Uh, the 
it, it also is not as symmetrical and perfect from above. There are some formations that have been made by man, you know, uh, National Geographic, for example, did a very big debunker piece, their own uh, documentary, trying to prove that all crop circles were made by man. And they had a team of workers do this, uh, but they fast track the crop circle uh, formation and show it from above. They don't tell you how exactly long it took. They did it during the day. They didn't do it during the night. And I think some of these incredibly complex formations, these glyphs, agroglyphs, as uh, Stephen Bassett calls them, have showed up, um, you know, within minutes, sometimes a few hours um, until daylight comes up and people haven't seen any human footprints in them, uh, no tire tracks leading away from this, the crop formation, um, basically no one to account for making them. Uh, and they just come up with the daylight. So uh, under those certain conditions, no one's been able to recreate some of these extremely complex formations that uh, we, we show some of in the documentary. And Gary, what makes them so, you know, uh, what's so notable about the ones that are man-made and then the ones that are obviously made by some other intelligence? Uh, well, the first thing is um, the, the condition of the crop when you walk into it. You can almost immediately tell by the way that the crop has been laid if there's been a human agency, if there's been people stepping across it with boards, you see a consistent pattern of damage. It's very easy to spot. Um, and there's scrape marks along the stems because the crop doesn't all fall down at once. It sort of comes down and springs back up and then they scrape across it and press down again. It's really easy to spot. When we don't see that, and when that's in the vast majority of cases, you'll see that there's a, a volume to the crop which can be swirling along almost as if it's like water's gone through it it's, it's like crashing up the sides and and so on and then and it's lifted off the ground and so what what i've done i've got pictures to to prove this is is that you see the damage come to the crop after people have began to visit it so and they'll normally walk down one very thin line down the middle of say a one and a half meter avenue you go back three or four or five days later and you just see the crop where people have walked is dead and all the crop to the right and left-hand sides of that is still alive and still voluminous. So if somebody, if, if I'm expected to believe that just footsteps kill the crop within a couple of days, then surely if that was the method under which the crop was laid down by pressing it down with boards, after two or three days I would expect to see all of it dead just in the same fashion. In terms of BLT research, Nancy and Levengood and, and Burke did some absolutely great work in the 90s and into the 2000s, where they pretty much showed consistently that there is three types of energy that's impacting the crop and the soil, uh, electricity, microwaves, and magnetism. The electricity and the microwaves can be told, uh, detected through the crop um, it's a bit like if you have an electric shock and you go and have a um, one of those heart monitors put on, it can tell you that you've had an electric shock and plants, uh, it can be detected the same way, so far as I understand. Also, um, if you put a, a stem of crop which has moisture inside it into a microwave, 
and heat it up, then what happens is the moisture inside tries to find an escape route. It will elongate the nodes of the crop and then blow out expulsion cavities to let the steam out. And we found that in vast majority of crop circles, these expulsion cavities. And the magnetism is detected through the soil. Um, iron is one of the most abundant, is the most abundant element in the universe. Um, and there's always iron drops falling down from space onto the ground. So if you take a sample of soil anywhere on the planet, you will expect to find a certain percentage of iron within that sample. What we find when we do an examination of the soil inside crop circles is that the control samples taken from outside compared to the controls taken from inside the crop circle show that the um, uh, inside of the crop circle has uh, lots more iron. And sometimes this iron is distributed almost in the same way that a light bulb in the center of a room distributes uh, light. It's sort of the inverse square law fades off as it goes away. And so we see a distribution of iron that's more concentrated in the center and, and less towards the outside of the formation. So on two, on two fronts there, you're looking at the condition of the laid crop. Uh, I always bring in time frame because 90% of the crop circles, 95% of them appear in four or five hours of darkness in the British summertime. And with the scientific data to back it up that there are anomalous findings which we don't find in the controls, then there's something to talk about that's from another agency. Well, there's a, the one thing I, I know that no one sitting here today is saying and coming out and saying is that that these things are aliens. No one's saying that for sure. I, I, I think, you know, what we're, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of you think that. Uh, but I think what it is, it's more of a question mark than anything else. What is it that's doing these? But this brings me to there was a film done, and I would like to play the film because um, I had always been told it was just plain uh, a hoax. And then after watching your film, uh, I'm starting to think, you know, this maybe there really is something to this. And I want one of you, if you would, to explain why this video that I'm going to play right now, and I will have that in the show notes as well, uh, for those of you listening to the audio podcast, I'll make sure I put it in there. But I'm talking about this one right here, and I'm going to play it right now. You can see where these things, these orbs are going um, over this field. And this was taken back in the 90s with a VHS uh, camera, video camera. And as these things are floating back and forth, um, this crop sh circle is like showing up underneath it. And which one of you would like to talk about that? Oh, I'll go for it. Um, I talk about this quite extensively in the, in the film. Um, because there was obviously a lot of controversy surrounding this event. It was immediately claimed to be hoaxed, and someone said that it was just animated. Um, but what we had really was a 19-year-old kid that had come over from Australia to visit the crop circles who decided to do a night watch, and he was awoken around 4 a.m., just as the light's coming up in summertime, and he, he heard strange noises, and he looked out and saw orbs flying around and filmed them. Um, at the time, he didn't see the crop circle actually manifest. It was only later when he subsequently showed the people at the sort of hotspot crop circles, which was the barge in in those days, he showed them the video, and that's when it was seen that there was a crop circle there. 
the crop circle wasn't there the night before and it was there the following morning. Um, it was a six-fold formation. There were six arms off of a central circle, but it had hidden within it implicit seven-fold geometry, which is actually very difficult to do if you do a little bit of study on geometry. To, to divide a circle by seven is more complicated than any of the other numbers because it's not a whole number. Um, so the sophistication of the actual formation was was up there. Um, the The footage was analysed by a laboratory in London um, and because it was handheld, and as you mentioned, because it was 1996 sort of mini DV camcorder technology, um, what you see is the horizon going up and down as the as the cameraman's kind of filming it. He's, he's moving like this. But the balls of light stay consistently at the same height above the field. And you can see it wobbling around there. Um, and so what that would mean with 25 frames per second is that if somebody were to animate that, they would have to paint on painstakingly these orbs uh, in every frame um, and keep it keep it all consistent and not show any artifacts, which is actually, well, we, we consulted some Disney animators. There was a film made by a Norwegian filmmaker called Terry Toughness in 2004, and he, uh, no, 2006, sorry, and he, he contacted um, some uh, Disney animators. I, I got my ideas wrong, it was 2004. And 2004, he asked these Disney animators, look, how difficult would it be to animate this and knock this up? And they said, well, we'd need a couple of weeks. And to be honest, anyone with any film expertise would be able to notice it under analysis and scrutiny. Whereas the laboratories that we had the footage sent to confirmed that there were no artifacts and that this footage, in their opinion, was genuine. And there were several film people consulted in England and in the US. So... What, what it seems we have here is is an agency, and it, we don't know if it's extraterrestrial, as you say. There's 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 a lot of belief that it is extraterrestrial, but that we have orbs, which we can speculate might be drones from a mothership or something like that. But these orbs have been seen very regularly in Wiltshire for, for a number of years. Some of the hills are even named after these kind of orbs. They're called Golden Ball Hill and things like this. And so... Um, it seems, in my view, to be a genuine event, which was obviously quickly stamped on and debunked by the usual characters. But under closer scrutiny, you can see that there's something to it. Yeah, excellent. And uh, this image here is, I think, really wonderful. I've seen this for a long time. The Mowing Devil. Uh, this was uh, published back in 1678. And... Uh, I, I know there's the, the rumor that it had to do with um, a dispute with uh, crops and things like that. But um, but it's a recorded, in a way, it's a recorded crop circle of some type, or uh, a lot of people are at least speculating that. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to tackle that, but also are there any other cases of that? Does anyone know of any other well, publications? I'll just chime in that um, we know – in that article, um, you know, the other pages that came with that story that um, people that were from the area had seen, had sightings of what looked like orbs floating above the, the farmland. So uh, the crops, basically they saw what they called balls of fire, but we would probably in modern times equate that to like some kind of orb UFO. Um, I think what Gary can, you know, tell you is that 
people ask all the time, why, why the UK, you know, why is that there's a, yeah. a long history of these glyphs showing up in the UK and um, there's a long history of basically us modernizing the world from the UK and, and fanning out around, you know, globally. And so, you know, if you go back to when we really clear cut the forests there and started modern farming, that's where these massive crops were feeding all of the, the uh, Europe and trading and uh, folks were coming from around all of Europe to actually um, take their seeds and use these ancient areas like uh, Stonehenge, for example, uh, they would leave them there for a certain amount of time and then take them back to their countries somewhere else in Europe and plant and they would get higher, um, you know, they, they would reap uh, a higher crop uh, from from those seeds because of some kind of energy in that area. Um, well, but, you know, there's a continuity of messaging. If you're going to start messaging your friend on Facebook and then you message them on WhatsApp and then you move that to text message, you're going to annoy the hell out of them, right? But if we keep getting messages in one constant area, this continuity where we can rely on a message coming back every single summer, every single spring when the crops are coming up, well, then we know that there's this dialogue this, this constant conversation that we can expect. And, you know, just last year, there was a COVID-19 glyph that showed up. And uh, Gary King even did a analysis of that recently. So, you know, it's not like, it's not like these things ever stopped. It's just that people bought the mainstream lie that they're all made by people. And that's just, completely untrue and yeah i would say that there is some kind of intelligence that's probably off world especially if you look at the arecibo reply that came in 2001 if you google chill bolton crop circle 2001 this is a point for point reply to the message we sent out with the arecibo uh telescope in 1974 carl sagan designed this um and lo and behold, we get this face and we get this beautiful, yeah, you have it up there, uh, beautiful reply that shows their DNA structure, the, um, the bodily form that they have. It shows their solar system and the planet that they inhabit and that it has three moons. Um, it also shows at the very bottom that very strange sort of... Uh, circle and then a bunch of emanating circles coming out of it. We actually got in 2000, just that image. And um, that image is their diagram of the type of technology they use to send out their communications in space. And it's a microwave um, telescope. We use just a radio wave telescope that's what the arecibo is it's not a microwave so our in our version of that which uh carl sagan sent out you can see our diagram and it's a totally different type of telescope technology 
But, uh, you know, I think we we are being communicated with. And some people would say, you know, well, why aren't they just landing on the White House lawn? Why aren't they, uh, you know, doing an intricate design right in front of Buckingham Palace? Um, and the answer quite simply is, and I mean, I've got Jim Goodall sitting right next to me. He's a aerospace uh, historian and worked on the SR-71 here. He was one of the uh, navigation installers. Um, he knows himself that there's a long history of our military shooting at UFOs. You've got the Battle of LA, which happened in the 1940s. We unloaded hundreds of shells into the sky to try and take over, take down a UFO that was floating over LA. We have the Roswell, New Mexico crash that happened in 1947. Um, they have tried to land. They have tried to like come here and, and we're such a hostile race. We've been constantly trying to take them down and possibly retrieving some craft that have gone down in history. So if you look at crop circles, this is a messaging that's peaceful. Um, it doesn't require any landing. It's only visible from above and it works its way into our newspapers and, you know, many articles online. So eventually people hear about it and know about this messaging. Um, and it's kind of a loophole to get around the military and, and, you know, the information filters. Yeah. I put up there now the, uh, the virus, uh, crop circle, but, um, you know what this going back to this one, um, the Chibolton, uh, one, what a complicated, I was, when I was watching your, your video, the screener with a friend the other night and what a complicated, uh, both of these crop circles are so, so complicated. I mean, it would seem like it would take days to carefully construct something like this. Yes. And um, you'll notice there's two. And what Gary will mm. say is it's not like just one crop circle shows up in the summer. You know, how many would you say can show up in one night, Gary? Oh, the, the most I've known, um, there was a report, although I never independently verified this, that 35 came in one night. Paul Vigay and Lucy Pringle uh, have information about that. They talked about it in an interview they gave many years ago. Uh, in my own experience, um, I've had many, many occasions where I've, I've got up one day and there's been five new ones and then three the next day and two the day after that. On 777, when the crop circle appeared in front of me, there were seven crop circles that night in addition to the one that appeared in front of me. So, so it's not just this random now and again event. Um, you're talking about something that's um, much more prolific than most people are aware of. Well, uh, Gary, you just have to watch your mic. It's making a little click noise when you move. So Sorry. Just, uh, just be cautious of that, uh, a little okay. bit careful of that. Um, so, Stephen, um, you're, you're in the film a little bit here and there. Do you want to discuss what your part of uh, of it was? Okay. Your involvement in, in the film? I'll give first, uh, I'd like to go on the record here. All right. Uh, I have not measurable, not a measurable amount of doubt that most of the these agroglyphs are non-human made, period. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I think I arrived at that conclusion about 15 years ago. Uh, and there, th this, this speaks to something important. One of the ways the truth embargo has succeeded, and all heavily backed government type propaganda succeeds, they call it a big lie. They call it the, the, the repetition, all that. But one of the ways it succeeds, it convinces a very large number of people not to believe their own eyes, not to believe uh, their intellectual capability, not to accept common sense, but to simply repeat over and over again, don't know, hasn't been proven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, so I just want to go on record there. There are many aspects of the phenomena uh, that have turned up, more like specific cases or what have you, that, that I have doubts about. I have no doubts about aggregates. Now, the reason that I, 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 I the reason I'm in the films, because Darcy interviewed me, but the reason I'm happy to be involved in his promotion and talk about it is not surprisingly, not the phenomenology per se, I'm not a researcher, it's the exopolitics. I might say, well, what are the exopolitical implications of aggregates? What, what, what's going on there? They're a few, and some are subtle, some are not so subtle. First and foremost, there's their existence. The fact that they're there at all. Someone went to the great trouble to put those down. Now, in the case of humans, and there have been a number of human gregoglyphs, it was a lot of trouble. In the case of extraterrestrials, I think it takes about as long as it does to print out a four-color print on your laser jet printer, which we can do quite nicely if you've ever used it. It's rather spectacular. I still don't know how it works. So why? And why so long? Well, here's a few points. The modern phenomenon of agroglyphs starts around 1990, right around there. There may have been some things before. There may have been some ancient past. But there's no question that in the 20th century, it, it starts in 1990. Because if that had been going on in 1970, we would have known about it. I assure you. 1990, it all changes. And we started seeing these agroglyphs, but they were simple, not complex. And then we started to see a little more complicated and a little more complicated. The numbers increased year after year after year. Not only that, it became a worldwide phenomena. Many, many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people uh, around the world uh, have uh, copies of, of agroglyphs uh, pasted on the refrigerator. Or they buy books or they hang it on the wall. It's a modern phenomena. And naturally, thousands of people started going to the UK on vacation just to see if they could see one being made or be there when they are made or walk out into one. Thousands of people. They started bringing cameras and then sophisticated cameras and then uh, infrared cameras. They started bringing ultralights so they could fly over the fields to see when they can find one or see one. And God knows what else. And they still put the agroglyphs down year after year. This is not a, 
a natural phenomena. More importantly, it's not just casual. So what's going on? I believe that the, the emergence of the uh, agroglyphs in 1990 were directly associated with a milestone 20th century event, the end of the Cold War, and supposedly the end of the high-risk possibility of nuclear annihilation. Thanks to our wonderful politicians, superb advanced thinking of governments around the world, we're now in Cold War II, and the risk of nuclear war is greater now than it was in 1990. But that's another subject, and you don't want me to go there. <laughs> and so as you go forward from 1990, these crop circles get more complicated, more abundant, more bold. That sounds like a progression. It sounds to me like a statement is being made of something without getting into any messages in the crop circles, which given the, uh, the fantastic array of designs and everything, anybody with a quality mine is going to be able to find some messages and more power to them. I think it's great. I have no idea what the messages of the circle are other than wonderful geometry and art. But the message of their repeated presence and the escalating complexity, it tells me that they're trying to say something. And the most logical thing for me is that something is coming. We're moving towards something. Otherwise, they'd have put incredibly complicated circles down right off the bat. Boom, there you go. And then every year, same thing, pretty much, move it around. No, no, a progression. Well, progressions go places. Where are they going? I believe they're going, we're going towards disclosure, and that these agroglyphs are connected to the process of disclosure affecting our perceptions. In other words, the message is, as many other messages are, we're here, We're doing this for a reason. They're getting more complicated for a reason because it's going somewhere. And I believe where that somewhere is, is disclosure. So that is an incredibly significant exopolitical possibility. And then there's another aspect. Extraterrestrials have the ability to do all manner of things. I'm sure we could never even list all of the things that ETs could do if they so chose to do, right? They don't do a lot. Their overall activity is relatively narrow, a limited number of relatively consistent activities. So this one is important because of the fact that it is so benign. Uh, They are beautiful. We love them. We take pictures of them. We, we, we talk wonderfully about them. Nope, I have no, I've never had anybody go into a, a rant, though I'm sure it's happened, uh, where they talk about the evilness of crop circles, the demonic aspects of it, and how clearly it demonstrates that these beings are worse than the Borg. Right? Whatever. No, they're benign. They're beautiful. They're not particularly destructive. There's some crop loss, but it's, it's trivial. Wow, that's an interesting message. I don't see the board doing that. So this tends to take a little edge off their presence. That's very exopolitical. So that's why I, I, I'm interested. That's why I follow it. I'm aware of it. The, the overall coverage of crop circles or agroglyphs has dropped off substantially. There are very few articles that turn up now, even though they happen every year, because it is now part of our culture and reality. It's normal. Hmm. If there were no agroglyphs, next year. That would be big news. 
people would be going, what the hell is going on? We're the agroglyphs, right? Hmm. Surely at least a human would have gotten out there and done one. I don't think they're making them much anymore. What would be the point? For what? Nobody, it's not even being covered. There's no money. There's no fame. It's not being covered. We got a, a pandemic going on. Any, any group of kids out there doing an agroglyph are idiots, right? They got to find a better use of their time. That would be news. But no, every year the same. It's become normal. And normalization is very important to the disclosure process. Because the disclosure process leads to the confirmation. Confirmation will probably lead to open contact. And so the more normal this seems, the more accepting we are, the more time we've had to adjust, the easier it will go. So that's my take on uh, aggregates. Well, hey, thank you, Stephen. Um, so the question, I, I'm kind of just throwing this out. Anyone can take it. But why do you suppose, you know, we're talking usually in England? And I know there are some in the United States, but not too many. And, of course, there's a lot of other land, China, uh, Russia. I know there's a couple in in Russia that have shown up, but uh, you never hear about China. I just wondered if anyone wanted to tackle that. Gary? Sure. It was, um, it's a question I've been asked many times. I, I did crop circle tours for 10 years um, and took many, many different people uh, to the crop circles. And one question that would always come up was, why Wiltshire? Why, why, why is it here? So I looked into it. Um, and it turns out that uh, the Salisbury Plain, um, which forms the main body of it, I mean, Salisbury Cathedral is where the Magna Carta is. Um, it's the first area on the British Isles that was cleared of trees to make way for farming. So it's an important point in human history in terms of the British Isles from when we transferred from hunter-gatherers to uh, animal and crop husbandry. And it's from those, you know, those early beginnings of growing crop, those ancestors also built the stone circles um, in that same area, Stonehenge, Avebury, Silvery Hill, there's probably only about 25% of the monuments in existence today. Uh, the Romans came and destroyed almost 75% of them when they when they occupied the land. Um, but there's still enough there for us to know that human beings had a massive predilection to building these monuments. Um, and then we see the British Empire uh, growing from its surplus of grain. Uh, the surplus of grain was the beginnings of of independent wealth and land ownership and from an in, from a, a surplus of grain we moved on to take slaves and send them out to the caribbean all in the name of the commonwealth uh, and become the uh, the most powerful um empire in the empire race that that went on through those years and so we can look at where we are today in terms of we live in an economic reality that's run by money um, and know that its origins, uh, as far as we are concerned, from Britain and from the influence of the English language and so on, has its origins in that very location in Wiltshire. So if the crop circles were part of the crop circle message or communication was for us to reflect upon ourselves, where we've been, where we are now, and what choices we could make to change the potential future of where we are, where we're going. And farming plays a big role of that with pesticides and monocultures and how it's wiping out, um, you know, a lot of the bees and so on and so forth. 
then then it would be a brilliant way to contextualize the message to put these symbols in crops in an area where farming began for the most powerful empire that run that, that ran the world up until now i have a little different take on that martin could i add mine you bet yeah uh, i'm not aware that any agroglyphs anywhere else in the world even remotely compare to what has turned up in the uk fields um, and because there is the world's a big place so if you want to get a couple of guys together and go out and create a agroglyph sand glyph whatever take a week <laughs> if it's remote enough take all the time you need camp out have some barbecues so i i would i would somewhat controversially suggest that not a single agroglyph or equivalent outside of the uk is et at all secondly i think there's two reasons why the uk one because in order to get the message across they're trying to convey as i've described it one place is all you need you don't need to do it anywhere else just one place remember they're dealing with the world they're dealing with this globe not with this nation or that nation or anything else you just need one location you want the you want the focus to be one place so that the message is clear repeated straightforward right uh and the second is another possibility and that is being an ancient aliens fan and an ancient alien alumnus i must say yeah. uh yeah the ints have come down over the many millennia here and there it's a big planet they didn't visit everywhere there are some notable areas where they engaged various times and we're finding evidence of that clearly uh, and that will all get resolved post disclosure and georgio sopocus and i think will probably toast along with uh, eric and many others that they got a lot right not all of it but a lot of it right um and when you the nature of the the stonehenge the circles all of that just compels me to think that this was a place that they came down and invested some time long time ago uh when the uk by the way was not an island it was simply an extension of europe land bridge all the way over towards uh you know the uh, uh norway and so forth um and there is a these a lot of these uh, artifacts we're finding in that area stem back to et connections and has moved forward in time many 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 thousands of years in the uh in the lore and the myth and the religions of the brits and so in that sense uk has a special place that i don't know take a spot in south america it doesn't have it right america may not have it we not may not have been uh one of the places they decided to come down with any significance any significance though native americans do have a lot of recollections so perhaps there is but that's that's kind of my take and i i like it because i think if that proved to be true the uk is going to have a lot of uh well it's going to be very proud i'm sure uh, i mean their 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 legacy and connection to this unfolding phenomenon its ultimate resolution is going to be very powerful i think and we may learn more in detail about the time when the ancient ancestors of the modern brits were directly engaging et's in some form or fashion and these huge numbers of of uh, stone circles 
uh, I forget how many have been, is a lot, uh, somehow date back to that. Hmm. Well, here's a question that came in from chat uh, from Anonymous Rex. Yes, they are here, but what does all this mean in the contact narrative? Does anyone want to tackle that? As far as the, what does this mean in the crop circles as far as the contact narrative? Contact, what you, contact with humans like abduction or contact in the general um, sense? I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just reading it as uh, the discussion. How does, this, how does this engage in discussion? Um, and anyone can tackle that. I think there's, um, if we are to believe that these messages are being, uh, you know, given to us, because somebody's watching us, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's concern uh, for our future and where we're going. You know, Gary talked about where we're going, where we've been, where we are. Um, it seems that whoever's trying to interact with us in this sort of contact form through uh the glyphs and the crop circles, they're concerned. And uh, there seems to be some kind of empathy. I'll add, I'll expand on that. Um, One of the things that's not really thought about enough, well, I take that back. One of the things that someone like a political activist or an exopolitical activist would think about that the researchers might not is this simple yet important uh, aspect. When an ET craft came in at 18,000, well, I forget how many miles an hour, 8,000 miles an hour, and then just just casually circled a test rocket testing a nuclear warhead, dummy, and then used some sort of beam to knock that warhead off the top of that missile, they knew they were being filmed. They might not have known Robert Jacobs' name, but they knew they were being filmed. They knew that's going to be seen. When ET craft have flown over the, uh, our SAC bases in the Midwest, like Maelstrom and others, hovered there over the gate and then turned the missiles off. I mean, there was a reason they did that. But be assured, they knew they were being seen. Right? When, they, when they put the crop circles down, they don't get seen, but they know full well what that means. The instances when ETs have done things which clearly known that knew they would be seen, there is a fundamental message there. We are here. If you haven't figured it out, let me remind you, we are here. And then again, another month goes by. For, we are here over and over again for 70 years. When they fly over the nation's capital for a number of days in July of 1952, It's possible that they were going out for milk or maybe they just needed to take a break and that area was uh, whatever the hell. They knew that huge numbers of politicians and high-end journalists would see that and know they are here. And so this is non-trivial. That's a factor. I think in the case of the crop circles, it's really blatant. They fly, they, they, they turn the nuclear weapons off to send us a message. That was a pretty important task. It, it had a uh, start and a beginning, and, and they've done it a number of times. The fact that we would see that, film that in many cases, thus confirming they're here, 
secondary perhaps, but in the case of the crop circles, I think the only message there is we're here. And we're going to tell you over and over again, but we're going to do it really nice and really sweet. Okay. And so why would the ETs year after year keep telling us we're here, we're here, we're here? Because we will not acknowledge that they're here. And by we, I mean the governments, the ones that take our tax money, the ones that make us go to war, the ones that destroy the environment and a thousand other damn things they do, which are destroying what good we've created here. They're telling the governments, right? We're here and you need to acknowledge it. If they, if they, if, if that was irrelevant, they could have gone from we're here to, oh, yeah, we're here anytime they wanted to. They've had, well, they've done it in the past. But revealing themselves to the Egyptians, say, 2000 B.C., is not the same thing as, re- as quote, revealing themselves in, in whatever fashion, limited or otherwise, to a global civilization of high technology with seven billion people. It is not the same thing. We are not Egypt. We're not Gobekli Tepe. We're not any of that. We are in another world. In fact, we are practically on the same level of them in certain ways. I think I think um, Jim wants to chime in here with his opinion on some of that stuff. So go ahead. Jim. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, when you say they're here, they, we'd say, we've been saying it for seventy years. I have a friend. I have a, a friend of mine who works at for National Security Agency. You know, she won't talk on the phone, but. Uh, I've known her for a whole bunch of years. And a while back, I sent her an email. Do you believe in UFOs? And I got an immediately immediate response back. And it said, have you seen one? I said, no, I'm just curious. And he said, I can't say anything on this, on this platform, i.e. email or even on the, on cell phone. He said, she said, but they're here. And the other, the other item is Ben Rich, the former president and general manager of the Lockheed Skunk Works. We were friends for 25 years. And I spoke to him just before he passed away at USC Medical Center in the, in the uh, late 90s. And we were talking about a bunch of other stuff. And we got to, to UFOs and, and things that go bump in the night. And this is directly from Ben Rich to me. And Ben was Kelly Johnson's replacement at the Skunk Works. Ben told me, he said, Jim, we have things out in the desert. And he wasn't referring to Area 51. But we have things out in the desert that is 50 years beyond what you can comprehend. Not what you think you can build in 50 years, but what you can comprehend. In other words, and he was referring to my imagination, not just the general population. And he said, if you've seen movies like Star Trek or Star Wars, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort. And uh, just prior to that, he had spoke at USC, a UCLA uh, alumni aeronautical engineering function. He was the keynote speaker. And he said, we have the ability today to send or take ET home but the government won't release the information. So this is, this is from the pr- number one premier knows every dark secret when it comes to aviation and things that go bump in the night. 
for Ben Rich to state that publicly at UCLA and then directly to me just before he passed away tells me that they're here. They're here. They've been here on a regular basis. And the other, the other thing I worked, I worked at Kitt Peak National Observatories as a docent. And I was there for a couple of years. And just before I left, we had a meeting of all the astronomers, all the technicians, and all the docents and support staff. Now, Kitt Peak, those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's about 50 miles due west of, of Tucson. There are 22 optical telescopes up there from a 12-inch from a to a 4-meter, to a the Mayall uh, telescope plus two radio telescopes, a 12-meter and a 25-meter radio telescope. One of the smaller telescopes, the 2.1-meter, was remotely operated by Caltech for five years using adaptive optics. They were adjusting one of the mirrors 1,200 times a second to eliminate distortion. And in a small part of the Milky Way, they identified 8,000 exoplanets. Fast forward to this meeting that I was at. Excuse me. It, they said that the uh, astronomer, the head astronomer, said he just had just returned from a major conference on exoplanets, and they they have done calculations. And they and these are the scientists. These aren't you know the. The, the wannabes or whatever. These are guys who really can see the edge of the universe. And he said, based on our calculations, we estimate that for every star in the universe, there's one and a half planets. Now just think about that number for a second. And out of that incredible number of planets, they calculate that there are approximately 2 billion, and that's with a B, 2 billion Earth-like planets orbiting a similar brown dwarf star as our sun in an inhabitable zone with liquid water. And to quote Jodie Foster's character in in the movie Contact, if we're the only ones, what a waste of space. Right. Well, I could do a show with just you, Jim. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh, So it's time for us to go into the break. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, my guests, I have four guests uh, this evening. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, we have, I'm going to bring them all in one at a time here. We have Stephen Bassett. We have Gary King, Darcy Weir, and Jim Goodall. 
we're all here. And uh, uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, that was fascinating, uh, Jim, at the end of what you were talking about. Uh, so many interesting things. Um, so, right. Jim, since, since you're the, the last one to talk, I'd, li- I'd like to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, this is a, a topic you normally wouldn't talk about, crop circles. I mean, do you have any opinion at all on them? I mean, I, I've seen I've seen some of the videos of all of a sudden they appear or the orbs are flying over. We don't have that ability. They, they, they've been talking about crop circles for a long, long time, not just not just the last seventy years. Uh, and the complexity of some of those things. There's no way. There's no way you could bring in a hundred people with a diagram and and have everything all all you know charted out that you're going to take this square and do this or that and do that overnight. And some of these circles is, is impossible. It's impossible. It's just, yeah. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I go back to, I go back to me, you know, Ben Rich and in a letter that John and the late John Andrews from testers model company wrote Ben Rich and asked Ben, do you believe in UFOs? And there's two categories, both man-made and extraterrestrial. And Ben wrote back on his corporate letterhead as president of the Lockheed Skunk Works. He said, both Kelly and I are firm believers in both categories. We refer to ours as unfunded opportunities. He said, but beware. There are, there are people who will lead you astray and possibly do you harm. Huh. And... That was in June of '86 when he when he wrote when Ben wrote him that sent him that letter. And Interesting. There's just there's just too many. I have a I have a, a, a SR-71 pilot friend who chased one and left him in the dust. My old boss in the Minnesota Air Guard chased one in an F-94, and every time they they turned on their weapons radar, all the electronics would die. Hmm. Are they real? Huh. Yes. Are we alone? No, we're not. Um, and the other thing and that we haven't mentioned is I knew Bob Lazar before he went to work out in the desert. And before he went to work out at S4, you couldn't put a gun to his head to convince him that UFOs were real. Hmm. And I have a piece on that that I did with Darcy last night. And uh, it's very telling. Uh, and I'm a hardware guy. I'm not a UFO guy. I'm a hardware guy and a technology guy. And it's just everything, every, all roads are leading to the fact that, Hey, we're not alone. And I honestly believe, I believe before my time is up on this planet and hopefully I live a long time. I think, I think the time is coming very soon that there's going to be a coming out party, so to speak. And uh, we're in for some exciting times, assuming the world doesn't blow up in the next 90 days. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I'm, I'm not a Bob Lazar endorser. Um, you know, I just, I don't believe Bob Lazar's story. And you can certainly convince me otherwise or try to, but I just, I just don't. I haven't bought it from the beginning and I, I still, I still don't buy it. 
Oh, the, the way the way I met Bob Lazar. I mean, if we want to, uh, we, we, we won't we won't go down that road. But <laughs> before he went to work out, work out in the desert, he was as anti UFO as they come. And uh, we all know what happened after that. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's been a friend of mine for over thirty years. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go spend a couple of days with him this summer. If if the world will ever, you know, unlock itself and let us travel and move around. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we're getting, we're getting toward that. Um, so, but anyway, uh, thank you for, for all that. Um, I, I do have a question just kind of to throw it out to, to everyone here on, on this. Has anyone done any type of research to see if there's any consistency between crop circles, circles mathematically, I'm talking, I'm not talking about the consistency of what happens to the plants or anything like that. But I mean, with these geometric um, agroglyphs, is there any math that can be measured and compared? Does anyone want to uh, yeah. talk about that? Yeah, this is, the, Gary? This, is, this is where we get onto talking about, you know, some good stuff. Um, most of the conversation, unfortunately, gets held up in as are they real? Are they man-made? You know, let's let's move on. But this is once you've overcome that, which I did in my in my research, then then you start to look at the juicy stuff, which is what do the symbols mean? Uh, I, I personally think they're announcing much more than we're here because there's a dialogue and there's categories. And as you as you mentioned, one of the categories is geometry, which is which is the language of form. It is the language of number, but number made visual. Geometry is number in space, so a triangle is three and a square is four and so on. So what we found um, is, I mean, I'll give you one, I'll give you one story. There's, there, there's an abundance of, of historical mathematical solutions that have been given to us in crop circles, which after consulting maths historians, we've established that these have never been solved in that way or that accurately before in history. So we immediately know from the crop circles that we've analyzed that we've been given mathematical solutions to an ancient puzzle called squaring the circle um, in in ways which have never ever been descript, uh, descripted that accurately before in history, going right the way back to Plato. Um, there's constant reference with any pentagram, you have implicitly within the pentagram, the golden ratio which is this magic ratio that we find in nature everywhere. It's related to the Fibonacci sequence, which we find in ram's horns or the, the, our ear, or when we're born, we have five teeth in each quarter of our mouth, which fall out and replaced by eight teeth, the Fibonacci sequence. A number moves through organic life. It's, it's a key factor in material reality. So I believe we're being shown something about um, what what our ancestors worked with and toyed with as philosophers and cosmologists using geometry as a tool to explore if there is an intelligent design behind the universe. Because if we if we move away from dogmatic religion and just believing that there's a God to actually knowing that there is something mysterious which is um, intelligent which intelligently designed the universe, then. We, 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 we wake up in a different world than the one we're in now where we're not so sure. And so the answer to your question is yes, mathematically on a number of occasions, and I'm always happy to go through the details of those because I just think it's absolutely thrilling. 
um, there have been solutions given to us to mathematical problems which historically have never been done that accurately or in that fashion before. Hmm. Interesting. And what about um, other parts of the world? I mentioned before I talked about China. Does anyone, because I know there's some in Russia, has anyone ever looked in, you know, China has so much vast land, um, open land as well, that, you know, people think of China as just crowded, but it's not. There's a lot of beautiful land and crops and, you know, there's anything going on in China that we know about or, or would we ever know about it? Yeah, this is the thing. There's pyramids in China, but you can't get access to them. I think we're, we're talking about somewhere that's heavily restricted. Um, there's been formations all over the world, as you know. And as Steve pointed out, it could be that a lot of those are just people who are going out and having a go because they've seen what's coming up in England because they're not usually as complicated. They're not usually as sophisticated as the ones we find in England. However, I do believe that there are some. And I mean, the, the interest for me for example, I had dinner. I had dinner on Saturday night with eight military generals from here in Mexico, and we had. Now I'm actually having breakfast with them next Thursday as well. They want me to give them a presentation, but they have told me that there are reports of crop circles from the 1940s, 1947 and 1954, in their military records. Simple circles, but it shows that this phenomenon of of crop circles. Um, has been around. There's a wonderful book on Kindle that people can read called The History of Crop Circles, written by Terry Wilson, who did exhaustive work going right the way back to, as you showed, 1678 with um, The Mowing Devil and then Robert Plot at Oxford University talked about it. And I've got a bunch of, a bunch of, I, I wrote an episode for, uh, 16 episodes for Gaia TV, and one of those was on the history of crop circles. And I go through so many reports of police being involved, of fire being in the fields and people running out finding these circles and so on. So it's going to be very interesting if these Mexican generals give me some files in the next couple of weeks which show that we've got um, activity going back into the 40s that they've got on record. Another another question is, why would you suppose, um, anyone can answer this, why would you suppose that they would have started out so simple and then graduated to something like this beautiful one up on the screen. I well, mean, that's so intense. Well, I, I was I, I was taken to the crop circles by a man who became my teacher for 10 years, and he was very knowledgeable. And he and I and I sort of stuck with his explanation that he gave me. It's a dialogue that started at the beginning. Geometry, as I've mentioned, is number in space. And so they started with the simple circle, which represents one. It represents what they used to call the monad. Um, now, that simple circle is actually very profound and simple at the same time, which I think is absolutely brilliant. If you find something that's very simple and it actually contains yeah. a great deal of profundity, it's, it's a remarkable. And a circle is that. The diameter of a circle is one side of a square. And the circumference in relationship to that diameter is not a whole number. So we've got something which is finite, which is the diameter taken as one. And then in the relationship of the circumference to that one is 3.1459264, blah, 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 on and on and on, infinity. And so you have got um, wholeness depicted in a circle, no matter how big or small. And you've also got infinity and its relationship to something which is finite, which is us. We have a finite life and we, dis we, de we debate about whether or not we have a soul which goes on and is infinite. Um, and so 
there's actually quite a lot of, um, and it's like any symbol, okay? Symbols, if you look up symbols, I went to university and studied semiotics and, and language and communication. And what you find with symbols is that they are meant to convey multi-level, multi-layers of, of meaning. Anyone who's been in the Freemasons knows that every single part of the symbols contains different parts of the meaning which you are eventually initiated into to understand the deeper meanings behind the symbol. But they are meant to show us something about the side of life and the side of reality that we can't see. And so mm -hmm. we are talking about relating to something which is metaphysical, something which is unseen by us, something that I believe we've let go of. And that, that's why I believe that you, if it's ETs making the crop circles, which is highly likely, or it could be a combination of authors, that we are not in, an, in a position, as I think we used to be when we made stone circles, to communicate with them um, because we, we've kind of gone so far into the material realm that we're just going to be going, oh, 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 they really are true then, are they? How do we have a dialogue with, um, with a species that communicates in a completely different way. Hmm. And so that's why I believe that they're trying to get us ready for a form of communication. Very interesting. This is a, just, I'm going to post this up as a question. Um, it, it doesn't, to me, it, it wouldn't make sense, but I mean, this is a question someone's asking. Could any of the circles that appear precise be created by coded uh, robots in conjunction with ground rollers used by many farmers. I mean, would someone go through all that trouble? Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've said this before, you know, um, there's a lot of talk over the years about it being military technology from satellites that's beamed down, but I just can't see military generals sitting around a table and deciding that they're going to create the technology to make pretty patterns in fields to scare the life out of Saddam Hussein and the like. I think they're much more predisposed to creating more weapons of mass destruction than they are things that could um, make pretty patterns. Um, I suppose it's conceivable with AI these days to create a computer that would learn how to create a pattern in the wheat and, and some device that would roll down the crop as it went around. But as it stands, no. The, um, the crop circles are very rarely on flat ground. They're on, they're on uneven ground. It often rains, and so when you walk into those fields, your feet are... They weigh about two pounds more because they're covered in clayey soil. Um, mm. And and when so when you mark out this crop circle, if it's on uneven ground, you're not going to be creating a circle on the ground to make it look circular from above. You're going to be creating an ellipsoid shape, an egg shape, so that it looks circular from above to compensate for the topography of the ground. The, the complexity of what it would take to simply flatten crop when you actually look at it and start scratching your head and talk to architects and people who make things on the planet, they tell you that, no, this is not simple. And so there would have to be an awful lot of research and development money going into someone who wanted to build a robot um, to make crop circles. So I don't know who'd put the money up. Why would they do it? They're not going to make any profit. Yeah, I think um, ground-based robots is probably like not the right way to think about it. I think if if you you know, think about the possible UFO encounters that have happened around these crop formations as they've shown up. Uh, orbs, for example, you could pontificate or 
um, elaborate on your question and say, are those objects that we're seeing, are those drones? Are they some kind of artificial intelligence that's been sent here to do a specific job to create these glyphs and then go away, possibly fade away or, or return to where they came from? That, that might be a possibility. I think artificial intelligence is an inevitability um, in any technological race's um, evolution. You know, we're getting sophisticated automation now, sophisticated machine learning, artificial intelligence is all part of that. And eventually it's going to be employed to hopefully do all kinds of incredible things for mankind. Um, maybe what we're witnessing sometimes when we see UFOs involves some form of AI from, uh, you know, from another race or another intelligence that's out there trying to interact with our planet. And, you know, it's very possible that some of the drones and such that we've seen that's highly sophisticated uh, compared to, you know, the drone that was around when this guy was flying in the sky um, because there was a drone that was built to be launched from the SR-71. Uh, Jim actually did some work on that drone. It's called the D-21. D-21B, D-21. And uh, it looked like uh, one of the rockets, solo rockets of the SR-21. Um, but that was in the 19, what, 1970? Certainly 1962. 1962. Is when, when the program began. And when was it fully operational, like one of those drones to fly? Uh, first launch over China uh, was in 68. And last one was 71. 68, you know, and, and if you just put that in perspective, and maybe what Ben Rich had told him, that we have stuff that's 50 years beyond your comprehension, um, you know, operating and doing things for us. The D-21 was an example of a crude drone that was highly classified and no one even knew it was it existed till many, many years after. I'm sure there are things that the Air Force and the Navy, um, you know, different uh, military wings are going to be using uh, today around the planet that we may even see and, and consider to be a UFO. And, and yeah, the, um, thing when it comes to UFOs in general, we may not be in charge. I mean, we may be the United States of America and maybe the reason why things have not been made public is because we and other countries such as you know, you know the UK and in, in Russia, may, maybe we were told by the entities, whoever they may be, is you're not ready for this yet. And the, mm. the cross circles are, are a way, to, they're sort of a, a calling card or announcing, and maybe the more complex the crop circles get, maybe the sooner that they're that the creators of the cop crew crop circles are going to show their face. You'll have to excuse me. I'm a, I'm a little bit on the uh, 
extremely painful side right now. I had total knee replacement about two weeks ago. And oh uh, dear, wow. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I really, I'm really happy that you're on tonight. I really appreciate that. Um, and and I love, I love your input. Um, one of the the questions I that I thought about. Um, well, actually, I'm going to sort of put a little bit of a spoiler out there on your movie. Uh, on this, I would say the most convincing part of your video is when you show a crop circle one year and then a planted crop over it the following year. And there's a silhouette of that crop circle because that says so much. Does anyone oh, you want to uh, talk about that? Phantom crop circle. Uh, I think Gary can talk about that for sure. Go ahead, Gary. So um, what we found over the years is that where a crop circle appears the following year, there's normally a crop rotation. So if you have wheat one year, the following year it will be canola or barley or something else. Um, you know, I, I used to take sorties and, and fly in microlights before drones came out. And I used to do it every day. I used to get up and drive to the airport airfield and, and jump in this you know model toy airplane and put my life at risk with the door off and fly a certain route every day um, to see if there'd been a new crop circle. And what what we'd find as the crop would start to come up is that you'd see ghosts, what we call ghosts, shadows of crop circles that were there the year before, which is interesting. Um, And then you get some of them which are absolutely perfect, the best of which I filmed uh, two years ago, I think. Um, I think it was in 2017 or 18 a huge um, um, double tetrahedron crop circle came down in wheat. And then the following year, in about April, I went past the area, and it was perfectly replicated, but this year in canola. The canola just hadn't grown where the crop circle was. Now, there were some interesting explanations which were given for this, um, and the best of which was that uh, people tread the seeds in when they visit crop circles. They tread the wheat seeds in. It, which creates a root mat, um, and it doesn't. The, the, you know, a couple of weeks after you've, a crop circle has appeared, you'll see green, green grass all over the base of it because the grass shoots are coming through from the tree seeds that have been trodden in. Um, that creates a root mat which doesn't get a chance to fully mature because it's in, inevitably towards the end of the season where we don't have enough light, and it, the crop is harvested, it dies off, but the root mat remains beneath the soil. And the following year, when the plant farmer comes and puts a seed, usually a canola seed, which is bigger, through the, and they drill them into the ground, they drill it through the root mat. And when that seed tries to grow, it's blocked in its path by the root mat, which gives us this shadow. I like that explanation, but unfortunately, it doesn't cover all of what we see. For example, I just did a, a show here on um, Mexican TV where... Um, a colleague of mine, Nick Ball in, the, in England, who photographs crop circles, photographed one that appeared last year. Um, and the, the ground, it just snowed. And the whole landscape is white, except for the design of the crop circle, which has melted. Now, I've got pictures back from 2008, uh, where we flew in February, when the whole landscape was covered in snow. And again, another sort of double tetrahedron complex geometry crop circle is perfectly visible because the snow has melted where the crop circle was. So 
there seems to be, it seems reasonable to suggest that there is some kind of energy residue that's left over. But I'd need good scientists to, who, who are not um, scared of any stigma that what will happen to them with their peers if they start off going and starting analysing crop circles, they're not going to get rubbish and ruin their reputation, to be prepared to come out with me and, and examine the soil and see what, what's going on with, um, with, with what causes this phenomenon. Interesting. Um, I would like to uh, take calls. So uh, we have Bill standing by screening calls, and that number is up on the screen if you're on YouTube, um, is 855-472-5483. You can call in if you have a question for any one of our guests uh, this evening. And um, anyway, as far as, I mean, I think that is definitely evidence for one thing, uh, Gary, that someone is not doing these by stamping with their feet. I mean, no, there's, there's an abundance. It's, of it's definitely some type of energy that would, um, you know, persist or something that would happen to make a change like that. It's not someone stamping. No. I, I mean, mean, especially when they redo the soil, you know, I mean, they... They rototill the soil and, and put in new seeds and, and, and all that. I mean, is it And it will last really, not just for one year, the ghost. It, will, it can be two or three years that you'll see this residual. I've got my, many pictures of, of these, what we call ghosts. It's, it's, a, it's, it's something else which adds another little nugget to the, to the we don't know. This is a mystery and it can't be explained by guys with boards category. Now, I saw in one video where you were walking through um, – a field of flowers that there was a crop circle. Is that a common thing? Yeah. Now, uh, so, so the crop <clears throat> comes up at different stages throughout the season. The first crop to appear in the season uh, in around April is canola, which has these, it's a very thick plant, thicker than celery, very brittle. Um, and when it matures, it, it produces these yellow flowers um, before it goes to seed. And it's beautiful. Now, when you walk into one of those, the, the, the crop itself is above your shoulders. So you brush wow. through these yellow flowers and you get completely covered in yellow pollen because the leaves, the petals of the flowers are so delicate that just brushing past them trashes them. And what you find in crop circles, like I appeared on the episode of Ancient Aliens a few years ago, they had three guys go out and make one in canola. And they showed some fantastic, um, anybody can watch this on YouTube, but it's called Circles from the Sky or Circles in the Sky, uh, the Ancient Aliens episode. And you'll see these three guys take four hours to smash down the crop. They recreated a crop circle that had appeared 10 or so years before. A relatively small one, as they always do. Simple. Um, but when you look at what happened on the ground with what they achieved with their boards and ropes, it's smashed. All the flowers are broken. This scrape marks up the stems. It's just, it's just a mess. You look at the photographs of the original one that appeared in 2005, and there's just this sea of undisturbed yellow flowers. Now, I've seen this from my own eyes many times. And when you walk into one of these things, it actually takes your breath away because as soon as I put my foot into that crop circle, I'm damaging it, and it's not damaged when I get there. Yeah, that, that, is really, that part's really amazing. And let me ask you this. Does anything ever like stand back up on its own and, and grow yes. like it was never there? 
Yeah, well, the crop, that's another factor, is that the crop isn't damaged in a genuine crop circle. It will, it will because of phototropism, it will begin to grow back up to the light and become more buoyant. But we have had a crop circle. Um, a lot of people believe that some crop circles come down where a part of the design comes one night and another part of the design comes the next night. Sometimes it's been over three nights. Now, as soon as that happens, most people dismiss it as man-made. Hmm. Now, one of the um, – uh, now, what year was it? It would have been – oh, God, my, my, after 25 years, my years get vague. But it was about um, 2011, I believe, 2011 or 12. Um, this formation came down, and it was kind of like these lobsters. There were six lobsters <laughs> cut out into a circle in the wheat, okay? The next night, it was, it was finished. Now, the interesting thing about that crop circle is that where wheat was laid down in the original crop circle, it was stood back up when the design was finished the next night, which wow. you just can't do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think there's, or this again, it's a question for anyone. Do you think other than BLT research, which was actually funded by the Rock, Rockefeller, um, do you think that science will take a serious look at crop circles. You know, we have the SCU now, which is the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, uh, and there's many scientists in that. So there's a lot of scientists or science-minded people, people with PhDs that are actually taking the topic of UFOs seriously these days, much more seriously than ever before. Do you think some of that might trickle into the crop circles? I think once the stigma, the stigma um, that is associated with someone seriously uh, connected with science um, would undergo inevitably if they went into it now, they, they, they would have the ridicule of all of their peers and their family and so on. And they may get funding cut off and they may get other issues. But if, it's, if, if disclosure begins to really happen and crop circles become a part of that narrative, uh, allowing people to... I mean, I, I believe it will happen. I, in the last six years, Johns Hopkins and some of the universities are doing very serious research into psychedelics now, which, of course, was banned because of the uh, war on drugs and so on. But now it's really mm -hmm. being shown, even though people have been saying for years, look, this is something that can be used as a therapy. It's really being shown with scientific data now to do that. So, yes, I hope so. And I really, I really want it to happen. But I think at the moment we've still got that problem with, with stigma and people being scared to um, put their name on the line with it. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a question. I don't, and I don't say I crop circles are, I find incredibly fascinating and more has to be done. Has anybody d done a scientific core sample going down maybe a meter within the crop circle and then going outside the crop circle, do another core sample and then it have it chemically or somehow analyzed between the two. What are the what are the different properties that this dirt has that's uh, leaving a shadow the following you know the yeah. following growing season? WC eleven good, right? Williams. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he went down a meter. Uh, well, not yeah, not, not a meter, but he did controlled yeah. study. He done controlled yeah, studies. The science, there's an abundance of scientific work that's been done, and it hasn't really made much of a difference in terms of people accepting it as something which is a genuinely mysterious phenomenon. Unfortunately, 
we demand science. When science comes along that actually gives answers, you realize that there's a whole bunch of people who didn't want those answers and so actually relevant and it's not brought into the narrative. But there is an abundance of work that's been done by Levengood and Birkin over the years. The, the soil was actually quite shallow in Wiltshire because it's all on clay. So if you dig down about what varies between six to 12 inches, you just hit chalk. Um, and there are lots and lots of underwater aquifers as a result of it being chalk because there's all these caves and channels which run under the fields. And some people have done some good research with crop circles and where they appear in relationship to those locations. Wow, interesting. What did, what did William C. Levengood do? If you want to just kind of explain that to uh, Jim here, like how did he find, you know, you even said that he patented a mm. seed growth uh, technology yeah. with crop circles. Yeah, we so, so one of the things, crop circles can appear at any time during the maturation cycle of the crop. And so what what he found was that if he took samples from a crop circle which had appeared early on in its germinate, sort of maturation period, what inevitably had happened is that the plants had become very dehydrated and therefore the seeds weren't viable. Um, And similarly, at the end of the maturation cycle, when the crop's drying out, it happens again. They dry out that much more and the seeds don't, when you plant the seeds, they don't grow. However, he found a sweet spot in the middle of that maturation period where those energies which impact the plants have an effect that if you replant the seeds, you get five to ten times more yield from those crops without any fertilizers or anything like that. So in order to test his theory, he began a series of lab experiments where he began applying electrical impulses to plants at different stages of maturity. And he found the sweet spot and he found that he could increase the yield of those crops and patented the process. So I'm sure anybody listening is aware that you can't get through a patent officer unless something works. And so for him to have discovered a technology of applying electrical impulses to seeds and plant them and get more yield, potentially putting Monsanto out of business and selling more fertilizer, um, and patented that process, it's evidence that there's something else going on at at the very least. Isn't that interesting? We have a caller. Um, We have Lauren uh, from in in Connecticut, that is, and she has a two-part question. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Yes, thank you, Martin. And I just want to say that I enjoy your show very much. I like your um, interviewing style where you allow the guests to speak. And I appreciate this show. The the guests are fantastic. I'm really enjoying this. Well, thank you very much. Um, You're welcome. Um, My questions are, um, should I ask both of them or one at a time? uh, Well, let's do one at a time. That's fine. Okay. Uh, the first question is, uh, how many, if, if there's any way to tell, of the crop circles are destroyed because the farmers, they just don't want the hassle of people finding out about them? 10%. 10%. It's about 10% every year. We, I know I, I've been around for many years. I know that a lot of the farmers, um, I'm friends with them. There are a bunch of them that are angry, are angry. Not so much about the crop circle. They're angry about people who visit the fields and smoke inside their fields and leave litter and break down fences and walk through standing crop. But 
They're angry with the visitors who don't pay due respect. And so they've got together with a bunch of others and decided that if you get a crop circle, we're going to cut it out. But it's about 10% every year. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was, and that's what I meant. Not so much that from the crop circle itself, but yes, people tend to be disrespectful. That's for sure. Or there are a number of people that do. Um, The second part of my question is if the, crops in the circles are harvested, is there any kind of um, benefit or harm um, to humans if they consume that grain or whatever it was that was harvested? Not that we know of. I mean, most of the crop that gets laid down, it's a, it's a little too low for the blades of the harvester um, because they can pick up rocks or they can pick up any litter that's been left by visitors so they tend to raise the blades of the harvester up and cut just a little higher therefore they don't take the crop from what's laid down inside the formation they can only take the standing stuff um 10 13 years 14 years ago 2008 i did a couple of tours for uh the chairman of the bank of mexico he came over and visited the crop circles two years on the run and one of the years he was there the formation of the of the of the uh, aztec mask with feathers appeared opposite silbury hill whilst he was there now he does a lot of work with archaeologists and so on down in the yucatan and they've got jaguar reserve and they fund archaeological digs and so on and so he was very interested that this crop circle that's connected to him and he believed um had appeared so got me to buy all the wheat I negotiated with the farmer, and, and there's a documentary that's been made about this in Norwegian, Nor- Norway. The Norwegian TV covered it. And I negotiated with the farmer, and he bought all the wheat. And I, and I said to him, well, what do you want to do with this wheat? And he said, well, we thought about He also owned the biggest tortilla company across America, so I probably was going to make some special tortillas with it. But um, he, he said he primarily wanted to keep it safe because of new scientific experiments which could come in the future, which we don't have today, which we could then get the wheat and do some analysis on it to find things which we're not able to find today. So he basically kept it for that reason. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Thank you so much for your questions, Lauren. Anything else that you can think of while you're on? Um, Nope. That'll that'll do it for now. So thank you right. so much to all the guests. You bet. And thank you, Martin. Sure thing. Thank you for the call and your kind words. Um, there was a question here. Um, as far as uh, is there any collaboration between? Oh, uh, I, I think is there any you know connection between crop circles and UFO sightings? Now we talk about the orbs, but are there a lot of UFO sightings in an area? And then a crop circle shows up. Seems to be Anyone more want to tackle of, that? It seems to be more the case historically. When I look back through the old records and reports from 1940s and 50s, there seems to be a correlation between UFO sightings and then a subsequent crop circle. The Westall incident in 1966 in Australia in the school, um, not a lot of people pay attention to it, but in addition to the fantastic UFO sighting that over 400 students and three teachers saw, there was a crop circle made at the bottom of the field because the UFO went down, landed, and two children went and watched the army come and stamp around inside the crop circle and then burn it out. So, um, th- yes, yeah. there is there is a correlation. But in modern-day Wiltshire, 
which are probably the most watched fields in the world during summertime because people have gone out trying to catch crop circles being made, um, there is only a, a, a sort of anecdotal evidence. There seems to be appearances of crop circles without um, the sightings of UFOs at the same time as well. Well, another another thing that that comes to mind is I think it was uh, Stephen was talking <coughs> earlier about uh, you know why aren't these made in in areas where they could take two weeks to make them or whatever? But are there places that are very very remote that no- normally someone wouldn't go there, but someone flies over and sees a crop circle in a in a hidden area away from everything? Does that ever happen? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, obviously some of them, they don't get discussed, uh, they don't get seen, so so they probably go unnoticed. Um, there was a Sri Yantra, the Indian Sri Yantra, that was carved into the salt beds uh, in Utah years ago, and it was like a mile long. Now, I never got to visit it, but apparently when you go there and you tread on the salt flats, the, the salt just breaks through. That was interesting in that it was in a remote area and it could have been something anomalous. Um, in the early days, a lot of people don't realize in the 70s, uh, a colleague of mine, John Martineau, took a helicopter flight and there were literally hundreds and hundreds of circles of all different shapes. It was almost like somebody had flicked a paintbrush across the landscape and there were just circles all across fields. Wow. Um, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot. Wilshire is 1,300 square miles. There's probably at least a quarter of a million different individual fields, probably more. There's not something you can monitor on a regular basis. Um, and But most things, farmers, when you speak to them, they'll say, well, if something happens on my land, I know about it. People have entered or if this, that, and the other, the dogs will bark or... I mean, there's there's been crop circles inside the. I mean, I don't know if you know, but military, uh, the Wiltshire is the biggest military area in the UK. There's a 26 square mile um, exercise field, a fake village where they let off their tanks and fly in their Apaches and all that. So every summer there's a big show, and there have been crop circles inside of the secure zone. Ah, really? Yeah. Which, if you go in there, you're five minutes, and it's like Area 51. They'll be on you with guns. Big signs you cannot enter. Wow, though that's a Jim big knows, question. Jim knows something about Area Fifty One. <laughs> yeah, Jim, any uh, crop circles in Area Fifty One in the desert? Well, first of all, you <laughs> I don't have think to have make one there. Grow, you have to have something that grows out there, and which is primarily yeah. sagebrush. I yeah. I've been out to the fence line at Tonopah Test Range and Area Fifty One eighty times. Over the last 45 years, I've been doing this wow. forever. Um, never encountered any anything that even resembled a crop circle in the desert. And yeah, of course. Yeah. I, yeah. I've been on the top of Whitesides Mountain where you can look down at Tippecoo Valley and you can see the whole valley. You can see all of Area 51 from up there. And th- th- there isn't enough vegetation concentrated enough to grow to grow a crop circle. Now they do have uh, irrigated uh, circular, you know, uh, grains and alfalfa stuff they grow out in the desert. Uh, I have never seen anything, and this is it. You know, this is we be near Tonopah. I've never seen anything that would indicate that there was a crop circle on any of those. Uh, and I've and I've looked. I mean, I'm 
you know, I'm gonna when I go out in the desert, I'm looking up, I'm looking down, I'm looking everywhere, you know, for you know, you can never tell what's gonna fly by or fly over. I had a just today we saw him uh was that a uh what kind of jet was that that flew? Well they were they were F sixteens and A tens. Okay. You know, flying, but yeah. uh no, I and I and I've looked and I've been on some pretty high vantage points. I know when John Andrews uh, passed away, one of the things he asked John Lear and I to do would would we dump his ashes over Area Fifty One, huh. and which we did. We took off from McCarran Field there in Las Vegas. We had a, a, a Bell Jet Ranger. Uh, John and the pilot were in the front. I'm in the back. Uh, we're bouncing all over the sky because there was about a 30 mile an hour uh, wind from the north. I'm looking at John. His eyes are at normal. The, the pilot's the pilot's eyes are at normal. My eyes are about as big as saucers as we're bouncing around. But we're you know we got as we came over the Hancock Summit, heading towards the north fence line area 51. They sent up a uh, Beach 1900 as a military escort. It came out of Area 51, and we're we're sitting at, we're sitting up there about three thousand feet above ground level, and you can see the whole area. But I I opened up the uh, John Lear got on the radio and called. Uh, he knows the frequency they monitor, and it said Dreamland, Dreamland. This is John Lear and Jim Goodall announcing that John Andrews is on final approach at one four right. And with that, I opened the the door, dumped his ashes out, and. And they hit that 30 mile an hour north wind and just blew all his asses all over Area 51. So he, <laughs> so he had his, uh, wow. his, his last wish uh, fulfilled. Interesting. Well, uh, Jim, uh, yes. a, a question for you. You know, you mentioned that um, Ben Rich said the things that he said about f- the 50 years in advance. This is back in, 19, in the 1990s. And we have advanced so much in technology since that time. Makes you really wonder what's going on now. But also, if they had that capability, um, the first thing I would think of, and and it's an unfortunate thing to think of, would be weaponry. You know, if they had such advanced capabilities to, say, go to the stars or whatever, you would think that that would mean that they would have real advanced weapons. And I'm just wondering why or capabilities in travel, at least, you know, in our own, on our own planet, um, that were beyond our, uh, you know, our, our enemies or other countries. I'm just wondering why we don't see more advanced technology or as part of the UFOs that we see advanced well, technology. I mean, a, a good example of what we see or what we don't see. I just finished the, my 27th book. It's on, First 75 years of the Lockheed Skunk Works. And there, there are programs in there that I didn't yeah, hold know about. There are, programs, there are programs in there. One of them is called Senior Prom. It, it was an advanced tactical cruise missile, and it was in competition with the General Dynamics ACM-129, which was the nuclear-tipped stealth cruise missile they actually, they actually went into production. But oops, crash. Um, <laughs> the program is called Senior Prom, 
it has the last the last flight of a senior prom airplane or drone was almost 40 years ago. And I have photographs of it and I couldn't, I could not use them in my skunk works book if they were going to, if, because, gosh, good good video here on uh, YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't use them. I was asked not to use them because I said, if they were in the book, they could not be on Lockheed property because the images are still classified. Really? I said, well, I got them from Ben Rich, and he said they weren't classified. He said, well, times have changed. So here's a program. The last flight was like in 72, 73 time frame. That's pretty close to uh, a long time ago. And mm. they're still classified. And it, it's nuts. My favorite airplane is is the A-12 Blackbird. I, I acquired one from the Minnesota Air Guard. That airplane was operational. It flew from 1962 to June 21st, 1968. And the program came to an end. It was taken over by the Air Force SR-71. That program was shut down and, you know, they parked, they, they, you know, they pickled the airplanes and you know, parked them outside after a couple of years, but it was retired for 20 years before they admitted the existence of the A-12 ox cart. And the A-12 is a single place CIA operated Blackbird. They fly a little bit higher, a little bit faster. No weapons. No weapons. It's, 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 it's smile. You're on, you're on candid camera type of uh, stuff. It's a reconnaissance aircraft but retired for 20 years before they even announced the existence of it. And the same with senior prom. Senior prom, it's been over 40 years. And there's nothing, nothing released on it except uh, what, I, what I've had published. Yeah, I did write the text. I have about uh, 2,800 words of uh, text describing the program. They had 13 launches. All of them were successful. Uh, but they went, you know, they Lockheed said, we can't, if you, if you use that in a few, in a few other uh, photos I had of stuff that's still classified, they said, we couldn't have the book on our property. Well, I want Lockheed to pr- promote the book. I mean, it is, it is their 75 years and I covered, I covered 43 programs and it's, it goes everything from the XP-80 in 1943 and the most current project that is absolutely fascinating, especially in the world where everybody wants to go electric, is their compact fusion reactor. But that's for another day. But the technology, like you said, like you said is moving at, at, at light speed. And... There's there's a lot of indications, and even and people in the know or or some of them are, are saying that the the clock has started for full disclosure on when these you know when these guys or whoever they are decide to make make themselves public, and hopefully hopefully it won't be like in the movie Mars Attacks. Uh, <laughs> hey hey uh, Jim Jim while I have you on here take a look at the screen here this was sent to me today from a friend in arizona and uh, someone just also mentioned in the chat room what can make a an angled uh vapor trail you know from a from a jet 
Um, this was sent to me, like I said, from a friend in Arizona that listens to the show, David. Um, and do you think that's just uh, the winds or something that made that happen? Do you see what I'm talking about? It, it could, it could be, it could be wind, sh- wind shear that that would cause that. Uh, the yeah. other thing, uh, you don't know how far away it was, so it could have been a bank, you know, a sharp bank turn where you can't, you can't see the you know, the, the arc in the turn, all you can see is this part, there's a turn. And then you see this, the, you know, the other part, the viewing angle. Yeah. And, and you know, they're, they're flying F 16s, F 35s and a 10s uh, over the skies of Arizona all the time. So that, that, yeah. that type of contrail, you know, that, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, what yeah. was, what would surprise me to see something going, like a like a bat out of Hades that you you that looks like something that a person could be in, and all of a sudden it makes a sharp ninety degree turn, yeah. or it turns around and heads back the other direction. Now we have the technology uh, to do that with like electronics, but we can pull a, we can pull a hundred G's on a uh, a smart weapon being fired out of a, out of a uh, cannon. But not with not with humans inside. So it could right. be unmanned. It could be you know, something that that can maneuver like that if it's if it's ours. If it's theirs, apparently there is there's uh, there's no sense of motion or turning uh, when you're making high speed turns. All right. So just real quickly, we we're out of time. Uh, I got, so Darcy just. Quickly throw your film out there where people can watch it and all that. Sure. Uh, if people want to see any of my films, they can go to occultjourneys.com. And I have the film posters there. Uh, you click on the film poster. It'll take you through to a site to stream the film. Uh, also, Excellent. I'll be speaking at the UFO Mega Conference in Laughlin, uh, Nevada, coming up in June. So if people want to see... My latest film I'll be premiering there, uh, Secret Space UFOs. I'm currently making the sequel to that with Jim here. Um, Please come and see me speak about this stuff and uh, also the premiere for the film. Excellent. Uh, So, Stephen Bassett, uh, just give out your website real quickly. We are out of time. (laughs) Paradigm Research. Uh, Yeah, paradigmresearchgroup.org. Follow uh, Paradigm Research Group on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and, uh, excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, you're on my first and on my 450th. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. All right. And uh, Gary, real sure. quick, we are out of time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, simple YouTube and Facebook against the grain. Those are my two Facebook uh, social media excellent. outlets. That's where you can find me. All right. Okay. Thank you, everyone. It's been a real pleasure, a real blast. Sure. And, well, yeah, excellent. So next week we'll be back with uh, Kathleen Martin. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Yeah.